Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your presence that is here with us. Lord, thank you that you came to us on the greatest rescue mission ever. You left the glories of heaven, the majesty, the splendor, the radiance, the beauty of heaven, and you came to be among us. Lord, how awesome is that? And Lord, today we pray, Lord, we come together, we join our hearts. I pray, God, that you would be seen, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, that, Lord, even as we talked about John the Baptist, and Lord, that we would, we would really truly know how to decrease, that you might increase, that you would be seen in and among us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak once again today. Speak your word to us. Illuminate the word of God to our hearts. And Lord, help us to be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So glad that you are here. You glad to be here? It's a good place to be. Um, I just had one more announcement. Uh, next week, the Christmas program, your bulletin says at 10 o'clock, actually, there's prelude instrumentals uh, going to be starting at 9.50. So you don't want to miss that. It will be uh, at 9.50, actually, is the start time. And so uh, those playing, um, you're asked to be in the front at 940, to be in place, being ready to go at 940. So I hope you can come out for that. Hope you can make it out next week for that. But it should be an awesome time. Well, let's go to the Word of God. You guys excited? Yeah. Right. Word of God is good. Yes. I'm actually going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, um, a passage that a lot of us are familiar with. You've probably heard it at one time or another. If you've been to any Christmas Eve service or Christmas service, you've heard this passage probably a lot. So I'm going to start by reading this, and then I'm going to take a look. I'm going to just kind of dive into this passage this morning, and uh, interestingly enough of how um, the context and how this is written and the time frame in which it was written. So let's read Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment or the zeal of the Lord of hosts will make this happen. Everybody familiar with that passage? It's the prophecy of Jesus. It's Isaiah. It's about 700 plus years before Jesus was born. And the prophet Isaiah gets this prophecy about the Savior. Now, it's interesting when you study the context in which, in, in which this was written, of what was happening. And I encourage you to do that at times. You know, sometimes we memorize Scripture or we, we have a little portion of Scripture that we like that, 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 that is a blessing to us, and it should be. But I encourage you sometime to look at the context in which the Scripture, the passage was given. Because the context tells us so much, it reveals so much more about the story or what was going on at the time. 
And, and, and this is no different. I, you know, I love the Word of God. The Word of God is all about Jesus. It is the story of redemption. It's the story, and, and, and you look from the beginning to the ending, it is the story of the intense love that God has for people and His desire for relationship with us. But as the story goes, people, we choose our own way, and, and rebellion and darkness comes, and we separate ourselves from God, and, 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 the, and the Bible, even Isaiah said that our sin separates us from God. But the great story of the Word of God is God's response to the rebellion and the darkness is he has a plan, and his plan is Jesus, his son. Because his plan is always redemption. His plan is always an invitation to draw us back to relationship with himself, to go back to the very beginning and say, I, I always want a relationship with people. When Adam and Eve sinned and it separated them from his presence, that was not his intentions. And so he has been throughout history working to win our hearts back. And the great good news, the gospel of, 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 of Jesus Christ is the, the way he redeems people back to himself. The Bible is the story of Jesus. It's the story of God's love. Even those Old Testament passages, when you read, and it's sometimes it's so difficult to read those passages, and you're reading about laws, you know, and you, I always joke about Leviticus, you know, really reading Leviticus, it's really tough because you're reading all these laws. What that does is when you're reading Leviticus, let it remind you of what Jesus fulfilled because he says he came and he fulfilled the law and he gave himself up for us in God's plan of redemption. And throughout history, you see the children of God, they, they go into rebellion and then God woos them back to himself. And then you look at the prophets of old and the prophets, they had probably the hardest job in the Bible. Can you imagine being, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and God comes to you as a prophet and he says this, I've chosen you. And we're like, yes, I'm, I'm, all right, you've chosen me, great. It's a word from the Lord. I'm gonna put that in my fridge. I'm chosen by God. Thank you, Jesus. God says, I've chosen you to speak the words I will give you. Great, all right, you've chosen me, and now you're going to speak to me. That's a double blessing. Awesome, okay, that's on the bottom part of the fridge. Um, so you love me, you've given me the word, you're going to speak to me, and you're going to be telling, and he says, tell the people what I've told you to tell them, to clear the word of the Lord to the, to the people. Okay, all right, I got that. Awesome, that's, that's like three blessings. I get to tell the people what you're telling. By the way, they're going to hate you for it. They're going to despise you. They're not going to even listen to you. And they're going to want you to die. That's the part that's not on the fridge. This was, this was a tough job to be a prophet. But God says, I still want you to tell them because I still love the people. I already know what they're going to do, and their response is going to be wrong at a lot of the times, and sometimes they did respond right to God, but there was a lot of times where they didn't. And we read these passages, and these hardcore passages of, of, of pain and, and darkness and rebellion, and you're thinking, oh, I, I, I want to read, and it maybe has a different ending. You know, the DVD that has the alternative ending to it. I, I want to hear a different way this, this turns out. But then you, you know, you go back through those passages, and you go, there it is again. It's very painful to read. But even in the midst of the darkness and the depravity of man, God is reaching out in redemption. And that is what you will find in this passage. The gospel is in this passage today. 
The gospel of Jesus is found in this passage. But we're going to look at it in context because we, we hear the passage that I started out reading. You know, Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You know, and, and we, we read that and we're going, yes, it's the promise of Jesus. It's the promise of Messiah 700 years before he is born. We hear this a part of the, the Christmas story and it's just a sweet prophecy of the baby Jesus. But it's so much more than that. It is a sweet story, but it is written at an incredibly dark time in the history of Israel. The language that you will hear in chapter 8, and I'm going to touch in on a little bit of chapter 8, but the language in chapter 8 going into chapter 9 of Isaiah, leading up to that prophecy is very hard language. The people have been rejecting God's way. They're walking and living in, uh, in darkness. Despair is rampant. Distress is common. Fear of the enemy, because the Assyrians are right at the door. The fear of the enemy taking over is in their hearts. It is a chaotic and stressful and dark place for Israel. So what was the source of the fear? What was the source of the darkness? Really, it boils down to this. They had lost sight of God. And that is why God sent Isaiah to help them recover their, their, their lost sight of God and to see God in the midst of this. Because the days of God's nearness and his presence were gone from the people because they had rebelled and done their own thing. And it was, it's basically the same story, and you guys remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about the book of Judges where it says the people were doing right in their own eyes, which that's not a good thing. But here in this moment in Isaiah, you have the people doing what was right in their own eyes. They had lost sight of God. They had removed themselves from the presence of God. His works were gone. His glory among them was gone. And even in their desperation, listen to where they turn. And this is the part, I'm just going to read a brief part of Isaiah 8 starting in verse 19. And when they say to you, consult the mediums and the wizards who chirp and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, surely for this word which they speak there is no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Nobody has that on their fridge. But you hear the language of, of the time that they're in. In their distress, in their darkness, they were even looking to the wrong things for answers. He is, he is calling them out. They were, they were consulting mediums. They were going into spiritualism and even religion to find satisfaction, and God is calling them out. And he said, you know, you go to these things, and then you wonder why there's darkness, and then you rage at God. You hear what Isaiah is saying to them. You've chosen darkness. Then you rail against God because you're in darkness. That's what he's saying. You've chosen everything but God. You've, you've pushed God to the side. You said, I don't want your presence. I don't want your glory. In fact, we're going to go to spiritualism. We're going to consult mediums. We're going to, we're going to you know, be drawn into almost a religious spirit. Then in that place, we're in complete darkness. And in that place of darkness, we look up to the sky and we rail against God of why is it so dark? 
And I love this passage because it, it does reveal the day and the age that we live in. There's nothing new under the sun. And God, in his mercy, he continues to call. He continues to draw. And this was a time of hard things, looking in the wrong place, looking for the answers in the wrong place to spiritualism, religion. We pick one. I mean, we all have our thing that sometimes we push God aside and we maybe try to find something to fill our heart, a relationship, work a little harder, if I could make a little more money, if I could do this or that, something to fill that, that place in my heart that only God can, that only God was created or created us for. So we were created for relationship with him. And a lot of times we go from this thing to that thing, trying to fill the void, and then that doesn't fill, and we end up in darkness, and then we rail against God. Where are you? Sometimes ourselves, and I've been guilty too, that we, we go to the wrong source for our answers. So we can be a very much like this place where Isaiah is dealing with the people. So having that in context, with that thought process there, you see chapter 8. Chapter 8 is, a, is, is very hard language. The people are in darkness. So knowing this context, I want you to look at this ray of hope that Isaiah brings in this time of darkness, in a time of great darkness, distress, depression, oppression, and confusion, there is a ray of light. There's a ray of hope. There is a diamond in the midst of the trouble. And it's the promise of Jesus. It's the promise of salvation. And so we're going to look, having that in context of what God is saying. Look at... Uh, Verse 1, chapter 9, we're going to start there. I already read 6 and 7, and I'm going to just read now 1 through 7. And I want you to hear, in context, the time of this great time of darkness and depression. Chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when, the, when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And so Isaiah is speaking this. He's beginning to speak to them hope in the midst of their darkness and their depression and their oppression. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery, lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Then listen, for a child... Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with the fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of the Heaven's armies will make this happen. The promise of Messiah, the promise of Jesus in a time of great darkness there's a ray of hope. Do you see the gospel in this? 
that we in our darkness without Jesus, because without Christ, without the light of God who is Jesus, Jesus said he is the light of the world, and without him, without relationship with him, we are wandering around in darkness, and we're going from thing to thing, and we're trying to fill that place that only Jesus can fill. And so a lot of, before Jesus, before Christ, before salvation, we are a lot like the Israelites. We're wandering in darkness. And in our wandering, God does not leave us alone. He extends an invitation of great love. And he reaches down out of heaven, and he extends his hand through the cross of Christ, and he says, I have given you hope through Jesus. I've given you the light through Jesus. I've given you love like you've never known in Jesus. I've given you hope. I'll give you joy. I'll give you contentment like you've never known that is found in Jesus Christ. Let me reach into your darkness with the ray of light that is Jesus Christ. And it's interesting in this prophecy, I love this prophecy about Jesus. We're given names of, for Jesus. And you know, all throughout Scripture, there's, there's lots of names and there's people that have done you know, the studies of the names of God and the names of Christ, and all of them are powerful. You know, you have, you know, healer, provider, protector. He is the Lord, our righteousness, our holiness, and we have all these names. But it's interesting that in this prophecy, he's given these four specific names by Isaiah. Isaiah said that, that you know, he is going to come, and, and light will break forth, and he's talking about Christ, and he said, you know, unto us a child is born, unto us the son is given, he will be called, and he gives these four titles. And I want to look at these four titles, what it speaks to us into, in the gospel message of how God speaks into our darkness through these names because, you know, God could have chosen any of the names of, of, uh, for Christ in this, in this passage, but he chose these four. It's interesting why he chose these four, and I think that the revelation of who Jesus is and who Jesus wants to be to us are found in this promise, in this little nugget of truth, in this, this piece of light in the midst of darkness that he reaches toward us with these names of revealing who he is. So we're going to break these down. We're going to look at these this morning. And then who, how Jesus fulfills who these are. And his his, his, his message of truth to us is, this is who I am. This is who I want to be to you. That in darkness, you can have the light that is Jesus. But first of all, wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Why is he called that? Isn't that interesting? Wonderful counselor. Here's what it says. Isaiah 11 says this. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Talking about Jesus. And it's another prophecy about Jesus. It said, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so you have the spirit of counsel that would be upon Jesus. That it, part of his nature is a counselor to his people. Proverbs 2.6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So this word counselor, wonderful counselor, what does a counselor convey? What is that when, when you think of a counselor? And obviously in, in our society we think of a, a psychologist or you know, a, a Christian counselor that we would go to to get wisdom. You think of maybe a lawyer or you hopefully think of a pastor um, that can give counsel or wisdom into a situation. 
The Greek word of counselor implies this. It says one who comes alongside another. So a counselor is someone who comes alongside to give care, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Interestingly enough, Jesus, when he is promising the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, he said, another counselor will come. That's why he said, it's good that I go away because I will send another counselor. It's going to be like me, be the Holy Spirit. And that word there is, is one who will come alongside you to give you wisdom, guidance, and understanding. So Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, he's not just any counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. He's our advisor. He counsels us. He advises us what is right and is wrong. That place of conviction when, when, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you have a decision you make and you know the right way and you know the wrong way and God is saying, choose the right way. That is that, the power and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. That place of discernment. You know, in, in secular world, they'll call it like a sixth sense uh, of, of some, well, I, don't, I don't buy into that. It's, it's a, it is a spiritual, spiritual gift of discernment, and that is the counsel of the Holy Spirit. James says this, it is sin to know what you're supposed to do and not do it. Well, the Holy Spirit, through, through the power of Christ, he is counseling us. And he's showing us, and he's helping, and he's pouring his discernment into us to say, choose the right way. And he does that through his word and through the spirit. When we need advice, he is always there. He's ready to listen and he's ready to speak to our hearts. He's always available to encourage and comfort and guide us. You know that he likes to do that? A lot of times we think of the goodness of God is that he is obligated to do it. He is not. He does it because he loves us. Go back to the beginning, his intentions of love and relationship. Psalm 16, 7 says this, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. You know, the, the market that we have, the counseling market is huge. You know, Christian counselors, psychologists, and I, I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. Please understand, I think, I think in a lot of ways, Christian counselors, they're a place in the body of Christ that we have not tapped into as much as we should, and I, there is a place. But I am encouraging all of us, go to Jesus first. Go to his word, seek his heart, and he might tell you in discernment, say, you need to go to a counselor, you need to get some help, and that is my counsel to you. You need someone else to, to, you know, to, to, to help you with this. And he will call people and he'll put people in our lives. But let's go to him first. He is the perfect counselor. He's got all the right answers all of the time. And guess what? His advice is free. <laughs> That's good, I'm telling you. It's like, can it be free? Really? James 1.5, I love this. He says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Well, that sounds simple enough, right? Who gives generously to all without finding fault. Did you hear that? If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. And when we come to him and we say, God, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I don't know what to do. The first thing is God says, I don't find fault with you. Thank you for coming to me. Thank you for your honesty. 
Thank you for your transparency. That's the first place when we're vulnerable before God. He says, I find no fault with that. In fact, that touches my heart. Alan Perkins says this uh, about Jesus being the wonderful counselor. I love this. He says, when the scriptures refer to Jesus as a wonderful counselor, it doesn't just mean that he's, a, he's good at giving advice. It means that he understands things which are beyond the ability of our finite minds to comprehend. He knows things which only God can know. He knows the ways of God. He understands God's plans and purposes. His knowledge and intelligence and wisdom and insight far exceed that of any man who ever lived. So in Jesus Christ, we have someone who, by virtue of his great knowledge and understanding, is abundantly qualified to guide and direct our lives. Someone who is never confused or mistaken. Someone who always knows exactly what we are going through. Isn't that good? Hebrews says this about Jesus, that he is our great high priest that understands us, and he understands our suffering. That's why he went through the suffering. That's why he went through rejection. He understands loneliness. Jesus is the only person in human history that can look at all of us and say, I understand what you're going through and mean it. How does he counsel us? Through prayer. I encourage you to pray. And when you're praying, listen while you're praying. The Bible says, make your requests known to God, and God will be faithful to answer you. Sometimes we just got to take time to listen. And the cool thing is he is already aware of our needs before we ask, which is awesome. But prayer, spend time in prayer through his spirit. Again, Jesus said one of the things that the Holy Spirit would do is he, was, he would be our counselor. That is inviting the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very much a, alive and a part of the Trinity, and He is there for us, and we can have this relationship with Him. Is Yes, He dwells us when we, when we get saved, but He is also there to give us power and to give us wisdom, and we can ask Him to come alongside us, and we can pray in His Spirit, and we can ask God through the power of the Spirit to counsel us. Also through His Word, tell you what, when you start reading the Word and, and more than just head knowledge, but when you start applying it to your life and what God is speaking to you in the Word, there are so many rich things in the Word of God that will counsel you to give you strength. And another way He does it is through His people. God gives us each other in the body of Christ to help counsel and you know, that's where you have those spiritual gifts where um, uh, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 12 when we can have a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. That means somebody has supernatural understanding that only God can know. And they minister to someone else in this spiritual gift. And, and, and you know, when, if you've ever had that happen where somebody's praying for you and they touch in on something and it's like, whoa, how did you know that? And it, well, I was praying for you and this is what I felt like God had for you. And because God is acquainted with us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. The second title that Jesus has given in this passage is that he is mighty God. This is a revelation of his power among us. Jesus has all power and authority. He is eternal. He is without beginning or ending. He is all-knowing or omniscient, that word omniscient. He knows us. He's intimately acquainted with each of us. He knows everything. And that should give us a great 
confidence in who he is and his power that he knows everything. And he is all-powerful. There is nothing and there is no one greater than him. He's more powerful than our circumstances. He's more powerful than our issues. He's more powerful than our past. He is more powerful than our brokenness. He is all-powerful. And he's all-present. He's the ever-present one. In his power, he is with us. Matthew 28, 21, Jesus, it's interesting that he would say this. He said, he gives the great commission. He said, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And he's saying it as he's leaving. And it's like, how's he going to manage that? He's leaving and he's saying, I will be with you to the end of the age because he sends the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is him in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is with us all the time. He is ever present and he is here this morning with us. All-powerful, mighty God. He really, really is. And I, I, I want us to be more than just, this, this was a convicting thing to me this week because as I was reading this and I, I was praying this out this week and I said, Lord, I, I want you to be my wonderful counselor. I want, to be, I want you to be my mighty God. I want you to be my everlasting father, my prince of peace. And there was a conviction that I had as I was praying and, and I felt like the Lord said, do you really believe that I am those things? Are you just saying words or do you really believe that I am that to you? And when God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. He already knows. Which my response was, Lord, I want to know. I want to believe it. I want to live like I believe it. Everlasting Father, I love that he is called this. It's the third thing that, that Isaiah said. He will be called Everlasting Father. Father. It's interesting. Why would Isaiah refer to the Messiah as a father? You know, he's just, at this point, they don't have Jesus. They just have the promise of Jesus that he's coming. These guys didn't ever get to even see, Isaiah never saw the fulfillment of Christ in his life. And it was back, in, back when he was there, you know, they believed in God as the father, and he would be referred to as the father by some, but this was just this was intimate language of the day, and this was even foreign to the people that God would be called Father. A lot of times they called him Yahweh, and Yahweh, you know, the, the, the real definition of Yahweh is that he's the undefinable one. He can't even be contained within a definition. And then Isaiah says he's Father, and not only is he Father, the, the Messiah will be the everlasting Father. Calling Jesus the Father. Here's what Jesus said about himself, though, in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus saying, I am the revelation of the Father. I will father you. He becomes a father to us in the spirit of the Father. He does things that a father would do, even as we see him in the Gospels of how he deals with the disciples, and he's fathering them, and he's bringing them along the way. He's mentoring them. Here's some things that a father does that we see in Christ. A father, our father that we have in Christ, he gives us life. Jesus said this, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. He comes to give us life. Our Father gives us life and life abundantly and to the fullest. Our Father gives us advice. 
It goes and it ties in with our wonderful counselor, that he is our father that gives us advice, that he wants, to, he wants good things for his children, the, the word of God says. Our father loves us even in discipline. Let me say that again. Our Father loves us even in discipline. Discipline is good. Not abuse. Abuse is not good. Discipline is good. And as a loving Father, He brings discipline to our lives. And when we embrace His discipline, that's what changes us. Makes us more into the image of Christ is when we embrace His love through discipline. And our Father also protects us. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Isn't that awesome? And as a father, the best place that we can be is underneath his authority and his covering. Again, one of the reasons why I think that, that, that Isaiah was pulling out this everlasting father, because the, the, the heart of the father is to protect his children, to cover his children. And in chapter 8, you see this unfold where the people are in great darkness and then they rail against God of why they're in the darkness. Well, if we get out from underneath and we start doing things our own way and we get out from underneath the covering of our Father, we should not be confused when we are walking in great darkness. And out of His love and out of His discipline, He's trying to draw us back to Himself. He is called Everlasting Father. And then the Prince of Peace. He doesn't just give peace, but he is peace itself. And I love that it says that he's the prince of peace to indicate royalty, to uh, authority. He's in charge of peace. He is peace. Paul calls it, when we have the peace of God, he said it's the peace that surpasses human understanding. You look around this world and people are looking for peace. They're looking for that contentment. I mean, it's all around us. I mean, we see it with people, whether poor, rich, famous, unheard of. People are in a search and they're in a quest for deep, contented peace in their hearts. That is why in our day and age that people go from one thing to the next to self-medicate. They're they're trying to find something that will give them peace, even if it's temporary. But as we know, it just keeps them going from one thing to the next. And so many people abuse their own bodies and they hurt themselves and they're looking in the wrong things for that peace. And Jesus is as the prince of peace, as the authority of peace is saying, come to me. I will not only give you peace, but I will be peace in you. See, peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace doesn't remove conflict, but it's the total assurance and security in the midst of conflict. That's why Paul says it's a peace that passes understanding. It's like knowing that no matter what is going on, what happens in my circumstances, that God is in control, that he is sovereign, that he is the mighty God, and he's also the Prince of Peace. Here's some things about peace. Peace is true rest. Jesus said this, Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Who doesn't want that rest for their souls? Jesus says, I will give you rest. Peace is also reconciliation. Salvation is peace. Listen to Romans 5.1. Paul says this. He said, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that's reconciliation, that's salvation, justification in Christ, we have peace with God through Jesus. That's Romans 5.1. That being reconciled, being in a right relationship with God gives us peace. I've been justified with God, and therefore I have peace in Christ. Peace is also a gift. I love what John, uh, in John 14, 27, Jesus said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I give to you. I leave with you. And he's saying it's not an earthly, it's not a worldly peace. You won't understand it in the confines of, of, of human thinking and human reasoning. It's a peace that only I can give. Because we'll never find real peace, real security, real rest, real contentment, or real reconcilia reconciliation apart from the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And we also, we get peace when we bring glory to God. I love the announcement to the shepherds, and I was meditating on this last week as well. In Luke 2.14, you know, the Christmas story, the angels come, and I, I read it earlier when we were lighting the, the Advent candle and the angels make this declaration to the shepherds. They say, glory to God in the highest. Listen to the words. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It's like this. When we give God our high, the highest glory, he will give us his perfect peace. Find peace in Christ alone. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. I didn't give you the title at the beginning. I wanted to give you to you at the end. And it is the beginning of this ray of hope, this promise that Isaiah gives. He said, unto us, a child is born, unto us, a son is given. And the, the title of my message was, unto us, the son was given. And you see in this prophecy, during a time of darkness, during a time of confusion, during a time of sin, during a time of rebellion with the people, that there was this promise that light was coming to the earth. Not just any light, but the, the light of all lights, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. It would be Jesus, the promise of Messiah. And it's interesting that even the fulfillment of the prophecy, remember when Jesus came, and we read the story every year, about Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem and Jesus is born into this time. But you know what? There, it was a time of great darkness. Roman occupation was there. There was great oppression. There was great fear among the people. Herod was wicked. He was one of the wicked, most wicked men that ever lived. And during this time of great oppression, depression, Herod's rule, darkness, Jesus came into the world. And so he even came into the world even when I, the same way that Isaiah gave the prophecy of how he would come into the world. That in a time of darkness and great oppression, Jesus, the light of the world, is born. And so the prophecy, then the birth, then it comes to us. 
that in our darkness, in our sin, in our rebellion, in our shame, in our guilt, in our hurts, our disappointments, our failures, our fears, even when we have chosen to turn away from God and do our own thing, even when we have done what is right in our own eyes and we've walked away from him, even in the midst of that darkness, a ray of light shines and the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace in the form of Jesus comes to us in our darkness and says, I am here to give you life. The one who deeply loves us, the one who wants to come alongside us as our counselor, to walk with us in this life, the one who wants to be mighty God over our circumstances, the one who wants to father us and deeply love us, the one who wants to give us peace in the midst of a chaotic world, he comes to us. So I want you to hear that prophecy for yourself. I want to hear it from me. For unto you the Son was given. You can even write that down if you want. For unto, and then put your name, not the words your name, but your actual name. For unto Bruce the Son was given. And you can grab a hold of that because that promise is not just for the Israelites in that dark time. It was not just for when Jesus came the first time upon the earth. It, was, it is for every single one of us. For unto you the Son was given given. This child that was born, this promise, he gave up everything for us. He wants to be everything to us. And he wants to be all that we need. And I encourage all of us, whether you've been a Christian many, many years, or maybe you're kind of new in the journey, maybe you're seeking, maybe you're far away from God, Jesus is here today, and he is making an invitation saying, I want to be your Savior. I want to be the light in your world. I want to reach into your darkness, and I want to be your Savior. Because unto you the Son was given to the earth. He was given for us and to us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus. Lord, how could we ever say thank you enough for what you've done for us? And Lord, I think probably the, probably the greatest way, and, and, and it's probably on your heart, the greatest way we can say thanks is to give you our lives. And say, Lord, come into my heart, come into my life, be Lord of my life. Be in control of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that for unto us, you were given. You stepped into this dark world and you stepped into the darkness of our lives and while we were yet sinners, you stepped into our darkness and you saved us. And Lord, we respond by saying, Lord, we want to be yours. Thank you, Lord, today that for every person in this room that you are the wonderful counselor. You are the mighty God. You are the everlasting Father and you're the Prince of Peace. You are everything that we could possibly need and more. Just in a new way, we give you our hearts today. The way we're going to end, we're actually going to end with communion. Um, just in this, the midst of our Christmas season, 
of the tie. And you saw the video at the, be the beginning where the tie of Jesus' birth to his death, to his resurrection, is without the birth of Jesus, we would not have him dying for our sins and him being raised from the dead for us. And so his mission to come to the earth, for unto us the son was given. He was given to die for us. He was given to take our place that we so deserved because our sin demanded death. So I, don't, I can't think of a better way to close out this time this morning as we have think, thought about the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace coming to give his life for us is that we remember his death for us. And so the way, way we're going to do it in, in, in a few minutes, I'm going to have Charlie bring the lights down. We're going to put a CD on. And uh, again, this side of the room, you can come up and take these elements. And this side of the room, you can take these elements and uh, we'll receive communion um, together. We won't do it all at the same time. So you can bring it back to your seat. You can sit there and you can meditate a little bit before you take it. You can pray. You can take it while you're standing here. It's totally up to you. Um, and again, the way we do communion here is an open communion. The only thing that we ask is that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. Uh, Paul, when he was giving the instructions in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, I pass on to you what Jesus gave to me. He said on the night that he was betrayed, and he talks about what Jesus did in that upper room with his disciples. But he goes on to say after that, he said, I, I encourage you, don't, don't take the Lord's Supper. And we call the Lord's Supper a communion. Do not take that in a guilty way. Search your heart. Get things right with God before you partake of and you remember his sacrifice. And so it's a very serious thing. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that we, we, it's one of the sacraments that we, uh, that we adhere to communion and baptism because they were commanded by Jesus to do. And Jesus said, when you take communion, remember my death, my resurrection, my price for you until I return. And so we do this in remembrance of him, but we also want to take it very seriously. So with that said, don't ever feel any, under any obligation to take communion. You know, if you feel like, well, I don't really want to take it, that's fine. But we ask that, you are, that, that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life and that you're right with God. And so uh, before we, 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 we take communion, we're just going to take a few minutes and just quietly, um, right where you're at, just... Talk to the Lord and, and you know, just openly, vulnerably, uh, transparently talk to the Jesus and just, you know, Lord, forgive me of my sins and help me to be right with you. Search my heart. That's what David prayed. He said, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Just get those things right quietly before the Lord and then we'll take communion together.